All right. Amen. Thank you, guys. And uh, especially for that last song, which is an original song by Nathan and the Story Worship crew. It's pretty awesome. It's my favorite song now. Uh, I'm Eric. If you don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here at the Story. And uh, we've been doing this now, online-only church, for this is our fifth Sunday doing this. And there's like eight or nine or ten of us here this morning um, in this big space. And it feels so empty. But Uh, I won't say we're getting used to it, because we're not, but what I am starting to do is I'm starting to feel like this connection we have is a real connection. It's not an artificial one. The more we do this, the more real it starts to feel, and it feels less like a performance and more like an intimate conversation. And so I'm grateful for that, and I I want more of that, uh, even if it means we can't be in the same room together for a little bit of time. So wherever you are, I'm glad you're here. Uh, however you're feeling, some of y'all are, are just riding the wave of this quarantine crisis and you're, and you're okay, and others of you are really struggling, and maybe nobody knows how much you're struggling and you feel isolated and alone in the struggle. I really want to know how you're doing. I really want to know how you're feeling. Pastor Gio and I and, and others uh, here at The Story, other leaders, we worry about you, you know, especially when we can't have physical touch points with you where we're interacting and seeing each other's affect and hearing your voice. So if you're watching today and worshiping with us on a platform that allows co- uh, comments like Facebook Live or YouTube, I'd like to hear from you in a fun little way, and this isn't uh, mandatory. But if you could just tell us how you're doing, one to 10, all right? So one is uh, you don't know how you're going to keep going another day in this situation. You're barely holding on. It's uh, as bad as it can get. 10 is uh, you're pretty cool with it. Maybe you were already avoiding contact with humans, and (laughs) maybe you're an introvert, and and that's all right. I just want to know how you're doing and how we can pray for you. If you're not in a place now where you can comment, uh, I would encourage you to visit thestory.church slash contact. That's a great little um, web page that actually lets you fill out uh, your name and, and a little bit of information about how you're doing, and you can just hit send, and that'll come to us, and we'll know how to pray for you. That's just one more way that we can stay connected. Also, man, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of this church. I'm proud to be a pastor here because even through this unprecedented season of social distancing, where fear has threatened us to, uh, you know, the point of isolation and paralysis, we as a church have continued to mobilize. We've continued to make a difference in the city of Houston and beyond. We've continued getting out there, serving, giving, donating, and that includes the ways that y'all have donated to continue supporting the story's mission and ministries financially. The only way that we're receiving financial gifts at this point is through our website. Again, thestory.church slash donate is that page. We try to make it as easy as we can. We know it's a little bit of a hassle if you're not used to it, but thank you in advance. And if you've already given online this week, thank you so much um, for your generosity. I know it's a, a difficult season and we're all pinching pennies. We're cutting expenses here at the story as much as we can. Um, as many of you are at home and in your businesses as well. So it really, from the bottom of my heart, I, I just really want to thank you for that. So uh, this is the week after Easter, and it's always a little bit of a come down after Easter for staff and pastors of a church, and maybe even for some of you, the, the, the high that Easter gives you, even when we're not all together in one place, you know, you, you can't preach in a 1700s French chapel Uh, every Sunday. (laughs) And so you have to come back to reality, and and this is what we're doing today. But one thing that we've learned 
I think, through the coronavirus crisis is that Easter happens regardless of circumstances. And Easter didn't just happen once, it, it, it happens once and for all time. And so the tomb is empty today like it was last Sunday. The tomb is empty whether life is going according to plan or whether it's not. The tomb is always empty. And I think that's a beautiful thing that we've learned. Look, it was a little bit sad last week to not be with everyone together. As a pastor, we look forward to that. It was a little bit sad, but I was so enthused by all of your enthusiasm about the empty tomb. Even if it was only online, I was so enthused because it made me realize that we're starting to get it. We're finally starting to get it. This Easter thing, resurrection, Christianity, the whole thing is not really about a building, is it? It's not really about religion, is it? It's about a relationship and you can have and celebrate the promise of the empty tomb wherever you are. All dressed up, you know, if you know, tie, a suit, you, you can be wearing your pajamas, you can, you know, anywhere in between. It doesn't affect the empty tomb. It's still empty today. And so I'm really glad that we're learning these lessons, even if it took a crisis like this to show us uh, the, the truth. So today I'm going to continue a conversation we started last Sunday about heaven. I couldn't just do heaven in one week and then move on. It's too important a subject. Listen, there's so much about heaven in the scriptures. And it's such a big deal. Last week, I touched on some generalities. Today, we're going to get a little more specific. One question that people often ask about heaven is just what it will feel like. Instead of what it will be like as a you know, qualitative state, what will it feel like to be there? And so that's the question that we're asking today. You may be surprised to know that even in um, increasingly secular society, 72% of Americans still claim to believe in heaven. That includes 50% of non-religious Americans who believe in heaven, and 14% of skeptical, uh, <laughs> of skeptical or agnostic Americans believe in heaven. Uh, 5% of atheists believe in heaven, which is the most surprising statistic you might hear all week. 5% of atheists in America believe <laughs> in heaven. Now, it's really good that we, most of us believe in heaven, but... I'm more interested in what we believe about heaven. So believing in heaven is good, but what do we believe in heaven? I'm afraid that because the church has been so bad about you know, not talking or teaching about heaven, all these bad ideas, these false rumors have infiltrated the conversation. Um, a few years ago, a woman named Maria Shriver, you probably know who Maria Shriver is. Uh, she was, uh, I think she was a Kennedy and she was uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's wife and they divorced, but uh, she wrote this book called What is Heaven? And um, this is a quote from, uh, from her book, What is Heaven? And I'm only sharing this, just to be clear, I'm only sharing this with you because of how wrong it is, okay? So I'm not endorsing <laughs> these ideas. Here it goes. Heaven, she says, is somewhere you believe in, a beautiful place you can sit on soft clouds, and talk to other people who are there. At night, you sit next to the stars. It's, it, it, she says, if you're good throughout this life, then you get to go to heaven. And when your life is finished here on earth, God sends angels down to take you up to heaven to be with him. Now, I'm sure this was well-intentioned, and I don't mean to um, criticize or, or condescend Miss Shriver. She's an awesome lady, I'm sure. However, it's a little scary how wrong she is <laughs> on every count in this description of heaven. And it, you know what's even scarier is how many people would agree with her. For lack of better teaching, 
we fall for, you know, this stuff that, uh, full of half-truths. So not only would the general public believe what she says and agree, but I'm afraid that many Christians would too, okay? I'm afraid many Christians would fall for this as well. And I think it's for that reason that we use this sit on a cloud language. It's for that reason that skeptics look at us and when we talk about heaven and they say we just believe in heaven because we're afraid of facing our own mortality. We're afraid of death, so we made heaven up. It's a kind of psychological game, a wishful thinking kind of a deal. But when you're a Christian, believing in heaven isn't really wishful thinking. It's not about your wishes. It's not about escaping death. Far from it. When you're a Christian, believing in heaven goes all the way back to Jesus. Because when you're a Christian, you've decided that Jesus is worthy of trust. You've decided that Jesus is legit. And so you can believe what he says, including what he says about heaven. And so that is where the uh, Christian belief system about heaven comes from. Not wishful thinking, not wish fulfillment, but just Jesus himself. And what Jesus said about heaven, we believe we can trust that. He said a lot about heaven as we talked about last Sunday. But the problem is, Jesus said a lot about heaven, and Christians often know that Jesus said a lot about heaven, but we never say what Jesus said about heaven. I went over some sermons, all my sermons I've preached at the Story Houston since February of 2015 when we started. I've preached 221 sermons at the Story. Do you want to guess how many of those have been about heaven? If you guessed two, you were right. Less than 1%. And this makes absolutely no sense. Y'all, we've got to talk about heaven. I mean, it baffles me. If our mission is to inspire non-religious Houstonians to follow Jesus, it would seem obvious that a perpetual promise of paradise in eternity is a pretty good selling point. But all we ever tell people is how to live their lives now, and that's important, but we're leaving out something critical. You can't talk about following Jesus without talking about heaven. Describing Christianity without describing heaven is like describing what it's like to live in Houston without talking about the restaurants. You know, like, what do you tell your friends when they say, what's it like to live in Houston? Imagine saying, well, people are nice, and, <laughs> you know, traffic's not as bad as Atlanta, and, and uh, Galveston's just an hour away. If you haven't been to Galveston, trust me, it is delightful, <laughs> and, you know, we've got the biggest med center in the world. Uh, we've got, uh, what else, what else? Oh, we've got a house made entirely out of beer cans, <laughs> and you just leave out the best part. The restaurants are the best part. You can go ahead and tell us in the comments your favorite Houston restaurant. No chains, just local Houston restaurants. Tell us which one you miss the most, all right? Because it's the best thing, one of the best things about our city. But we leave it out. We leave out the best thing when we talk about Christianity without talking about heaven. It just, it really sells us short. And if you think about it, we do it all the time. What do we do whenever a non-religious person kicks the tires of Christianity? They come to church and they say, okay, I'm, I'm, I might be in here. What's next? What do we tell them? Well, first, you've got to become a member. And they're like, membership? Oh, okay. I just kind of want to come and learn, and I like the songs and stuff. And we're like, no, you've got to join. Sign on the dotted line. And they're like, for a year, or what's the time limit here? And, and we tell them, no, it's actually more of a, of a lifetime commitment. This is, 
this is where you sign, and, and there's no real end <laughs> in sight. And, and, and they're like, wow, well, uh, what, what do I get for this membership, for signing on the bottom, bottom line? Like, what do I get for this? And, and we're like, well, you get to sit in the world's least comfortable chair and listen to this guy you don't know try to cram three different messages into one. And he's ADD, so his thought processes are really fun to try and, and follow. <laughs> you get to do that every week. And, and they're like, wow, um, okay, so, you know, I just joined Hulu and they gave me a free trial. Can I have a free trial? And we're like, ah, you know, it's, uh, it's, it basically works like this. You're going to give us 10% of your income for the rest of your life starting now. And soon enough, we're going to send you an invitation to a meeting because we want your input for this one meeting. And, and by showing up to the meeting and naively eating a, a Jason's Deli sandwich, you are unwittingly committing yourself to a lifetime of committee commitments. And every meeting will run long for the rest of your life, and no decision will ever be made. This is how we sell Christianity to people. These are the kinds of steps we give them, as if that's all there is. And if we're not careful in our description of heaven-free Christianity, we can give them the impression that it's hell, hell on earth, a committee meeting for the rest of my life. No, thank you. We leave out the very best part, and people want to talk about heaven. People are craving a conversation about the afterlife. People ask questions all the time about this stuff. And so we should be more than ready, enthusiastic even, to talk about heaven. And one of the most common sort of questions or set of questions that we get is about relationships. Will I know my loved ones in heaven? Are they waiting for me there? Is grandma waiting for me? Will she know me? Will I know her? Will we recognize each other? Will we still be family? Will I still be married? Before I tell you what the Bible says about, especially that last part, marriage, I just want to offer a personal dis disclaimer here. If given the choice about marriage in heaven, I would 100% opt to marry Giovanna. I would be honored to be her husband for all of eternity. And I'm 50 to 70% sure she would say the same about me, although the longer the quarantine goes on, the lower her number gets. But uh, it doesn't really matter because it's not a matter of opinion. Jesus makes it clear. And one of his clearest teachings about the, the quality of life in heaven, Jesus is in this conversation with some uh, uh, Sadducees. It's a party within the, the uh, Jewish faith, the Jewish religion. Um, they're pretty up in the hierarchy at that point, and, uh, and they're trying to trap Jesus into giving a false answer about heaven, and specifically marriage in heaven. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 22, 29, and 30. Jesus replied, to them, to the Sadducees, you're in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So not to cut off uh, the conversation at the knees here, but when we ask questions like, will I still have my husband in heaven? Will I still have my wife in heaven? We're being short-sighted. We're looking at heaven through the limited lens of life on earth. Jesus is saying there's something so much better. There's something so much greater. You can't even fathom it. You won't even want the things of this earth as you had them. When you experience what's next in heaven, there will be something so much better than romantic love and marriage and even the nuclear family in heaven. Right? He's telling us there's something more. And I knew that I was going to need some help explaining this because we love our families. We love our spouses. We don't like the idea of not having things the same in heaven as we will have them here. And so I, 
I, I had a phone call this week, a Zoom call with David Bennett, who preached here um, in September of 2019. So it was about... Uh, 75 years ago, by my calculation. <laughs> That's how long it feels. You might remember David Bennett. He is a fellow at Oxford's uh, Christian uh, Center for Christian Apologetics. He is a brilliant thinker and theologian, and I wanted to get his take on what relationships will be like in heaven. This is a three to four minute clip. Um, y'all just settle back and enjoy this from David Bennett. Actually, I do want to talk about relationships in heaven, and, and um, you know, people want to know about uh, family and marriage uh, in heaven. And, and if we're going to be us, if we're going to have bodies and, uh, you know, this, our consciousness will be uh, essentially the same. Like, will we not have those cherished relationships beyond this life into the next one? What, what do things like family and relationships and marriage look like to you? Well, I love this particular scripture in Matthew where Jesus is speaking with the religious leaders that kind of struggle to believe that there was a resurrection at that time, the Sadducees. And there's this very interesting, they start asking him questions about marriage and kind of sex and divorce. And yeah. he says, do you not know that you're going to become like the angels and that people won't be given in marriage or marry any longer? And so you're going to become like the angels. <laughs> I love Jesus because he doesn't give any qualification what that's going to be like. <laughs> we just have to piece it together, you know, that's why we have theologians. Uh, right. no. <laughs> I mean, don't you know? Don't you know that? (laughs) Yeah, like, hello. You know, I love it. It's a bit of chutzpah, you know. Uh, But but, uh, but, uh, fundamentally, what's going to happen in heaven is sex itself, both the body, like male and female, marriage and how it's interconnected, and everything is going to be transformed into a different economy where it will become universal. So there'll be this kind of intimacy that's even more amazing than what you experience in the depths of marriage and even more amazing than the friendships that you experience this side of heaven as well. Yeah. And somehow like there's going to be a greater capacity to love because our bodies will become spiritual bodies. Now that doesn't mean non-material bodies in the Bible. Right. 1 Corinthians 15. It means a body that's 100% infused with God's life and spirit, his ruach breath. The, uh, the question of marriage remains, and, and I, I wonder if I run into Giovanna in, in heaven, uh, will, I, will I still be married to her? If I see her with another man, will I get jealous? Like, oh. how will that work in heaven? <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I think here's a few things to help. One thing is that you don't even know who you are fully yet. Yeah. Let alone Geo, right? <laughs> right. Um, and marriage is this kind of sign of the future. It's not the future. Hmm. And so the, any intimacy you're experiencing in your marriage is a sign of the future, but it isn't it. And yeah. I think, so when you see Geo, you'll know her as she is fully known by God. Um, and right now you don't actually know her as she's fully known by God yet yeah. because she hasn't been fully revealed as she is in God's heart and mind. Like it's still happening. Uh, still we've been together a lot lately though. <laughs> I, feel well, like, I feel like I know this person. I feel like I know her pretty well. And you do. And yet God knows her better than you, right. which is the kind of little bit of the reorientation that we need to have with our spouses. Yeah. Right. Is this, Kind of like, well, they're ultimately gods, you know, yeah. even that, though we are, betray- you know, we are one flesh, 
there's a kind of spiritual intimacy that you both have with God. That outshines that is, all of it. Yeah. And so that's what it all just li- lies on is that you are going to be like intimately connected to Geo, but even more intimately connected than now. Yeah. And you're going to, whatever is of faith, hope and love in your marriage will remain in your knowledge of each other in the future. All right. I want to thank um, David uh, for joining us. David uh, wrote a, a book called The War of Loves. You can find that everywhere you shop for books. It's a great, great book about David's story. And um, what he's talking about here is how we will know each other in heaven. So the people you knew on earth, when y'all get to heaven, when and if we all get to heaven together, you'll know each other in heaven. And not just in spirit form. And this is critical. This is one thing Maria Shriver and most of us get wrong. Heaven is not just a spiritual evacuation. It's not a place we go just in our souls. It's a place that we go body and soul. Altogether, we'll, we'll be resurrected. In the passage I read earlier, um, I, should have, I should have mentioned this. It just slipped my mind. But what Jesus talked about at the resurrection. And then he says what will happen at the resurrection. And the, the, the kingdom of heaven will be fulfilled. He's not talking about his resurrection. He's talking about yours, mine, our resurrection that is yet to come. And so Jesus rose as the beginning of the the resurrection, capital R, that is yet to come. He is the first fruits of the, the total resurrection yet to come. And on the last day, when the kingdom of heaven comes, we will be raised. Those of us who are in Christ, on our way to heaven, we will be raised just like he was, body and soul, we will be in heaven, all right? So uh, I, 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 hope I'm making, I hope I'm making sense here. Jesus rose with a body on earth, and so will we. But the body we'll rise with will be different, and the earth we'll rise to will be different. All things new is the gospel promise. So Jesus didn't rise as a ghost, did he? Like, he had a body. He was eating and cooking and he was touching people and just he was physically present. But the gospel writers were clear that he rose with a different kind of body. He was like, it was tricky to figure him out. He was in a different kind of substantive form. So he could uh, pass through some um, material and through some walls on earth. He uh, could be recognized or not. It was kind of up to him. And so he had a physical body, but it was a heavenly body of a different substance. And I know it's easy to get confused here, but it's so important to know because Jesus rose with this body, not just as a cool magic trick. He rose with this body to show us a clue about what's awaiting us. We will rise one day and we will have new bodies. And I think the point David's making along with what Jesus Jesus said in the passage earlier is that you will still be you in heaven but with a much better body. Can I get a hallelujah from the congregation in quarantine? Like, hashtag, I can't stop eating, hashtag quarantine 15 at least, right? So this is tough sometimes to be isolated and we eat our way through it. But Jesus said something better is coming and you will have a new body and you will be resurrected on the earth just like Jesus was. The best way to um, describe this is just with Scripture. The, the most, I think, on-point Scripture is, is 1 Corinthians 15, and y'all can study that in your small groups this week. It's super long, and this is kind of the Cliff Notes version of that. Paul wrote this as well, Philippians 3, 
20 and 21, he said, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You will rise again as he did, and you will rise not as a spirit into the sky, but as body and soul on the earth. You remember when Jesus taught us how to pray and he said, thy kingdom come to take my soul away to heaven? That's not what he said, right? Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So God isn't just gonna totally dispense with his creation. He loves his creation. So eternity, heaven itself, his kingdom will be embodied. You will have your own body there and your loved ones will too. And you will celebrate that together. So much will you celebrate. There will be so much joy in that celebration that you won't need the old kinds of attachments that you had before. That's why things like marriage pass away in the life to come. It is so much better there. The last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, describes heaven as a city, the city of God being laid down on top of the old earth. God is redeeming what's broken. He's not throwing it away. And so I think this is uh, critical to get your head around because I know a lot of people, especially a lot of men sometimes get lost in this ethereal conversation about heaven. I'll be a spirit floating through the sky. No, no, no. You can think about heaven in physical terms. You will have a body and a better one. You will work in heaven, but you will love your job. You will play in heaven. You will create in heaven. You will travel in heaven. Gardeners will continue to garden. Artists will continue to make art. Runners will keep running. Readers will keep reading. It will be a renewed physical creation, this city of God, right? And everything that we do, everything that we do in heaven will be an act of pure worship in the presence of the pure love and light of God. This is another thing we tell people about heaven, right? That it's going to be one long church service. I, people are like, what are we going to do in heaven? And we're like, you're going to worship there. And they're, they're thinking, I don't know, what's hell going to be like? <laughs> that, that sounds awful. Uh, a, 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 an eternal worship service. Now, if you've been to bad worship services, that does sound terrible. But it's not about a worship service in the formal sense. It's about your whole life, your whole existence being worshipful. Even your work and your play and your art, all of it is about worshiping God because you can do nothing else in his glorious presence, right? So uh, I think that's good news. I'm looking forward to that heaven. Now, one question that people ask at this point is often, well, if it's that good, I want to go. So how do I get there? And I don't know what you've heard in the past. You've probably heard a variety of answers about how you get to heaven. It's really quite simple. I mean, the, the baseline answer was summed up in the song Nathan wrote and sang right before this message. I will trust you. That's it. I mean, there's different ways of saying that in Scripture, and, and the, the writers of the Bible do say it in different ways, but it boils down to this. You trust Jesus. You trust the promises he tells you. Do you want the gift he has for you? 
So uh, Paul wrote this about salvation and the path to salvation. I think he boils it down very simply in Romans chapter 10. This is what uh, Paul said about going to heaven. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love that. Everyone who calls on his name will be saved. That's how big the reach of God is. That's how strong his love for us is. That's how much he wants you in heaven. And the good news there is that it's not about your track record. It's not about your past. Some of us are going to get to heaven and we're going to be very surprised by who's there when we get there because we felt pretty sure we deserved it, but so-and-so we thought would surely end up in hell. And you're going to think, am I even in the right place? Listen, get ready. When you get to heaven, there's going to be plenty of people there. This world, including Maria Shriver, wouldn't call good people. And that's the best part. Because when we get to heaven in the light of his glory and love, it will be abundantly clear to us that compared to his purity, compared to his holiness, all of us look pretty bad. None of us is perfect. And it won't be a scandal that so-and-so got up to heaven. It will be a miracle that any of us did. A miracle, a wonder of grace, that he loves us so much that he wants eternity with us. Broken little, feeble little, weak little me, he wants me in heaven with him. Wow. Paul says, if you believe in the resurrection in your heart and you trust him with your words, that's it. That's it. Declaring that with your mouth is a way of saying, I do, like you would at a wedding. And believing in your heart is just a matter of childlike trust. I think one of the reasons why we haven't spent a lot of time talking about heaven in recent years. It's because, frankly, we've been too comfortable. We, don't, we, we didn't need it. We didn't feel like we needed it. We did need it. We didn't feel like we needed it because we were a little too comfortable to consider eternity because our present was just good enough. Well, we're not comfortable anymore. We have been shaken. We are experiencing, many of us, the deepest anxieties of our, of our lives. I saw a story this week that said gatherings, public gatherings larger than 50 people may not be allowed for another year or more. That induced a slight bit of anxiety in this pastor's heart. One night this week, uh, Pastor Gio and I, uh, I don't call her that at home, but she's just Giovanna or beloved or whatever, wife. And, uh, and we were at home. And we were chilling, just kind of uh, resting at night. And, and, uh, and everybody else in the world, as I understand it, uh, was watching Tiger King, not us. We were watching worship videos on YouTube, just one after the other until like 1.30 at night. This is very weird behavior, but we were just like watching this worship happen on YouTube and crying our way through it. And I realized, I realized something really important, that all that eating I've been doing, <laughs> I was trying to fill a, a void that only worship could fill. And what I really miss, what I'm really hungry for is worship. And that little hunger for worship that I have is really a symptom of a greater hunger that will be fulfilled in heaven. I am made to worship. I desire it. I crave it. I hunger it. 
I need it. And I only get that whenever I'm not so comfortable on this area. Maybe that's why the Bible speaks of struggle as a blessing sometimes. And even if you're a skeptic, I just want to challenge you right now to consider the alternative to whatever truth you've decided to believe about what comes after this life. What if Jesus was right? What if you were created for a life beyond this one? And what if this life we're living now is just, it's just a a passageway. It's just a a foretaste of something more to come. What if that's the case? What would that mean for you right now? What if the reason why God allows us to experience a taste of pleasure in this life is to prepare us for the next one? Because the pleasures we experience in this life do not compare to the pleasures we'll experience in the next. And so he's like giving us a taste for it so it won't overwhelm us in heaven because it will be so great and so big, it could overwhelm us if we're not ready. What if the experiences we've had with struggle or despair are just to prepare us for what's to come as well so that we never take the joy in heaven for granted because we know what it's like to feel a little pain? What if there's more going on here? And there's a whole different, better, more fulfilling life waiting for you. What if? Every moment of forgiveness you've experienced here is preparing you for the fountain of grace you're going to be under in heaven. What if forgiving in this life is just to prepare you for the next one? I believe that you can trust Jesus. I do. I'm as skeptical as anybody in my heart of hearts. I question everything but I choose to believe Jesus knows vastly more about what is to come than you or me or anyone else. And if that's true, then this life you're living now is not all there is. And the things you're worried about now do not bear the gravity that you think they do. And the problems you think you'll never overcome or the shame of your past you think will never stop chasing you, it will. It will stop the pain will cease. It's just a season of preparation for something that's so much sweeter, something your God in heaven created you for. It's what he wants for you. It's more than just these 60, 70, 80, whatever years that we have on this earth. There is eternity waiting for you and he made you for it and he wants you in it. That, more than anything else, is the meaning and the purpose of your life according to Jesus. And I believe that you can trust him. And so this closing prayer may not be for all of you. It is for me today. I mean, I I feel like I'm saved, but I need a little more saving all the time, I feel like, because I lose my way. I have doubts. So if any part of you needs a little saving today, I'm gonna lead us through a prayer and and wherever you're at right now, I, I would love it if you would pray this prayer with me. Just let my words become yours. And in your spirit, just pray to your Father who loves you, who made you for eternity. Let's pray together. Father, first of all, I just want to say forgive me. I know you already have, but 
Sometimes I just need the reminder and I need to receive that forgiveness anew. Because if I'm, if I'm not careful, the shame layers itself onto my heart again and hardens. Lord, forgive me. We receive your forgiveness now, afforded to us by the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. Lord, right now, I, along with others who are um, worshiping online in different places, we together want to pray a very simple prayer. First, we want to say that we trust you. We don't know the fullness of what that means yet, but we trust you more than anything. We believe you and your promises that they're true. Father, give us the courage then out of that faith to profess the hope we find in you with our mouth, with our words to the world around us as a seal of the promise we've received in you. We say, I do to your covenant. We thank you for all of your mercy, God. You have given us so many breadcrumbs along the way. You have not left us on our own to find our way to heaven with our own devices. Like you have given us yourself. You came and lived for us and died for us and rose for us. You sent your spirit to guide us. You gave us your word to teach us. You gave us this gift of prayer to connect us to you. you. Give us these witnesses of people who've died and come back from those experiences and they've gotten a glimpse of the glory of heaven that awaits. You've given us so many clues to find our way to you because that we believe is what you want most. Eternity with us. So Father, we know our will sometimes gets in the way. Today we say, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen.